grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. First, a quick lesson on church vocabulary. So there's a word that we use around the church sometimes, lectionary. A lectionary is the order of readings that we have from week to week. So your Old Testament, Epistle, and Gospel reading that you have each and every week. Traditionally, it was a one-year cycle of these readings. Now we use a three-year cycle of these readings. They come up each and every week, year after year, whether or not we want to see them. And that's where much of the value of the lectionary lies. It brings us, it takes us sometimes to places, especially for the preacher, we would just as soon not go. And I've found it, although the lectionary itself is not uh, inspired, it is not canonical, it's not part of the biblical text in itself, I find many times over the years of my ministry that it sure seems to be pretty darn timely. And so here we are with Romans 13, which if I was just looking for a text so I could make everybody mad, let's just go for Romans 13. <laughs> There's something in here to offend and upset just about everybody when we start talking about the governing authorities and what our attitude and posture toward them ought to be. It doesn't matter where you are in the political spectrum. Everybody in here has some kind of beef. And, uh, I mean, let's just get right to it. And, actually, we'll kind of be walking through it. So if you want to keep your worship folder open to the, the epistle reading, it might be helpful to you. Uh, Right off the bat, Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Boom. He just lays it right out there. Doesn't ask for our, our approval or if we're okay with that. He just sets it right there. And the knee-jerk reaction, of course, the knee-jerk reaction is for all of us to jump right into a, a what-about game. You know the what-about game? My kids are really good at the what-about game also. <laughs> Turns out grown-ups can be good at it too. Well, wait, wait a second, Paul. What about what about dictatorships? What about persecuting governments? What about guys that I just don't like? <laughs> what about, what about, what about? That's our knee-jerk reaction. With the, uh, the upshot of that being, as one biblical commentator by the name of Douglas Moo points out, he says, the history of interpretation on this text, on Romans 13, is the history of people trying to avoid what it sure seems to be saying straightforwardly. And people have been really ingenious about ways to do that. Um, some have argued, no, Paul didn't actually write this. This was inserted after the fact. Some would say, perhaps even by somebody uh, who was like a spy from the Roman government. They snuck this into the letter of Romans. No, I don't think that that is the case at all. Others say, well, Paul's just naive. See, because, you know, it's so hard for us today. But back in his day, you know, things were so easy. And every, everybody, all the rulers and emperors, they were just so nice to Christians that it was easy for him to say that. Some of you know who the emperor was when Paul wrote his letter to Rome. It's a guy by the name of Nero. You can look him up. He did not have a great track record. So, no, Paul is not naive about the ways that the governing authorities can go utterly off the rails. And yet, still, he sets out this passage here in Romans, which is so difficult and so challenging and so necessary for you and me to hear. 
And I would say especially in times like these, where we have folks across the board who have their different beefs with the government, whether it be at the national level, or the state level, or the local level, whether it be about law enforcement, or whether it be about the executive office, whatever it might be, everybody's got a beef. And all of us can struggle with hearing this text and these words from Paul. So what I want to do with the rest of our time this evening is to make a case for why we need to listen to him. Why you and I need to bend our ear to Paul. And my goal is not to be able to leave, have you go tonight with a checklist of, okay, here's what it looks like for me to do this, all right? I'm not going to be able to do that for you. In each of our Christian consciences, we need to discern these matters. But I do hope to give you a framework and a way of thinking about this more broadly that's grounded in this biblical text, and in particular, in the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Sound fair enough? Anybody ready to get out, you know, stomp away yet? No? Okay, good. All right. So first, let me just lay out the case that Paul himself makes in this text. He gives his theme, his thesis, right at the beginning. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And why is that, Paul? Well, he essentially gets two main reasons, and the second one has kind of two subparts to it. I'll walk through both of those. But the two reasons, simply put, are this. Government is from God and for good. Government is from God and for good. That's basically the essence of his argument, his affirmative argument in favor of the governing authorities and our submission to the governing authorities. So first of all, government is from God. He says, make no mistake, every government has been instituted and ordained by God. And in fact, our translation it says that they are servants of God. But that almost kind of whips out a little bit. The Greek word that's behind it is the same word that's translated elsewhere as minister. It's the word that's used to describe Christian ministers of the gospel. That's the word that Paul uses here to describe the governing authorities. So strong is his statement. He's saying these folks have been placed by God, whether or not they know it. But that the institution of government is good. And it is ordained of God. And we might think here of an analogy with, with our parents. Parents are good because they are from God. God has instituted and ordered the family in such a way that whether or not kids like their parents, and every kid at some point says, I don't like my parents, right? And they you know, fight back against this and say, surely my parents are not from God. But there they are. Parents instituted by God. And actually, in the small catechism, uh, in the fourth commandment, shall honor your father and mother, Luther picks up on this connection between our parents and the governing authorities. This was a more commonplace kind of thing, especially in the Middle Ages, than it is nowadays. But he says, we should fear and love God. What does this mean to honor your father and mother? We should fear and love God so that we do not, uh, so that we honor our parents and other authorities. Some of you can remember a time when the local leaders would be called the city fathers, or something like that. This is getting at the same idea. That these leaders, these governing authorities, are from God. And therefore, Paul says, you, Christian person, need to submit to them. Because God is the one who has instituted these 
governments. Now, I know you've already got some, uh, you know, refutations to that. We'll get to those in a minute, but hold that thought, okay? This is his first point, though. It's from God. The second one that follows from this is that the authorities are for your good. They're for your good. So not only are these from God, but they're, they're for your good. Their fundamental job is to reward the good and to punish the evil. That's basically it. To reward the good, to punish the evil for your benefit. Life goes better, believe it or not, when you have that government in place. Good government that is able to watch over us, to order our life together. Sometimes we think, oh, I'd, I'd just be better off with no government whatsoever. It's one of those things that, oh, that sounds good, but in actual practice, like, okay, so who wants to pave the roads? Anybody? Any takers, right? Oh, yeah, there are good things about government. In its essence, the governing authorities are instituted for your good and mine. And then alongside that, not only for your good, but for your neighbor's good. And we often forget this, I would say especially in America, where we tend to be very individualistic. It's not just about, okay, how does this help me? How does this serve me? But also, how does it help and serve your neighbors? Because in the absence of governing authorities and, and strong uh, government, who suffers the most? It tends to be the weakest, the littlest, the least, those who are most vulnerable and on the margins of society. So Paul says, submit to the governing authorities because they are from God and they're for your good and they're for your neighbor's good. So we might put it this way. It's kind of a cliche to put it this way, perhaps. But, uh, you know, governing authorities are like your vegetables, okay? Your vegetables are a good gift from God. Sometimes you don't like them. You'd rather not have them. I mean, Brussels sprouts, I don't know what the deal is with Brussels sprouts. But even still, it's from God and for your good. And so we receive that with thanksgiving. Okay, that's in essence the case that Paul sets out for why you and I ought to submit to the governing authorities. But we all know that it's not quite so simple and neat and clean, right? So, okay, Paul government is like vegetables, well, what about when the vegetables go bad, huh? <laughs> what about when we've got some rotten vegetables? What about when, you know, people start putting kale into everything? That's another topic. <laughs> Just because uh, something comes from God as a good gift does not mean that it cannot be abused. Just because something comes from God as a good gift does not mean that it cannot be abused. And we could look at this in several different respects. I mean, again, you use the analogy of our parents. Parents are from God. This, the family is an institution from God. But almost none of us escape unscathed from childhood without some wounds or scars from our families, right? Our parents are not perfect. And even though this is an institution established by God, from God, and we give thanks to God for our parents, that doesn't mean that they are perfect people. And in government, lo and behold, not perfect people either. What do you know? And so, yes, there are going to be bad actors from time to time in government. Or the system itself might have flaws within it. But as uh, one author says, God is not at fault for our faults. Okay? God is not at fault for our faults. 
So yeah, sometimes the vegetables go rotten, but that does not upend the fundamental purpose of the governing authorities and the fact that you and I are still called to submit to them. But we could go further still, right? Because we say, well, wait a second, Pastor, or wait a second, Paul. Haven't you just opened the door, not just to some you know bumbling goofballs in government, but to, to straight out, straight up dictators and evil people who perpetrate horrible atrocities. We've seen this through history. And in fact, the argument has been made through history that part of the reason that the Holocaust was able to get as far as it did is because too many Christians, Lutherans even, were listening to Romans 13 and merely submitting to the governing authorities rather than pushing back. What do we have to say to that? Now this is an important point. And we need to recognize, first of all, with Paul himself, we see it through his own history, that he is not um, beyond speaking truth to power, as people put it sometimes. If you read the book of Acts, there's several instances where Paul himself is speaking out against the governing authorities and calling them to account. So as we read this and meditate upon what it means for us to submit to the governing authorities, we should notice that, okay, just if we're going to look at Paul himself and his example, assuming that he's not utterly inconsistent and contradictory about this, then it can't just mean mindless obedience to the government and quietism that allows, you know, no matter what, we're just going to go along to get along. In fact, if we look closely at the words that Paul himself uses, I think it helps us to understand how to live in this tension. Because you notice that Paul says, let every person be subject or submissive to the governing authorities. Notice that he doesn't say, let every person obey the governing authorities. You say, Pastor, that sounds like a, a distinction without a difference. In many cases, that's true. There's a lot of overlap when it comes to obedience and to submission. In most cases, to submit is to obey. But not in all cases. See, the idea of submission is that you are falling in order. Actually, the word comes from the military ranks, the marching orders, as it were. And people would be falling along in order. And the idea is that up ahead of us, we have our governing authorities whom God has put into place. But they themselves are under the authority of God. Again, whether or not they recognize it. And we, as Christian people, while we submit to those governing authorities, our ultimate obedience and pledge of allegiance is made to the Most High God. And so sometimes, in order to submit to the governing authorities, it may in fact mean that we do not obey those authorities. It might mean that we put down our heads and allow ourselves to suffer the consequences of our disobedience because still we are called to submit even while we recognize that our ultimate obedience is to a higher authority. This is clear within the scriptures. In addition to Paul's example, think of maybe the parade example would be Daniel in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Daniel? In the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel happens out 
one point that there are some fellow bureaucrats who have it in for Daniel. They know that he worships Yahweh, the God of Israel, and they want to see Daniel done away with. And so they convince the king, I don't know, the king was busy, he was distracted, what have you. They convince the king to issue a decree that no one may pray to anybody else in the next month except for him. And he's like, yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. Make it happen. You know, binding is the law of the Medes and the Persians. And so they do. Of course, they do this specifically with Daniel in mind. And the, the, it goes out that if anybody disobeys this charge, this decree, they're going to be thrown to what? The lion's den. So what does Daniel do? In, this is in Daniel chapter 6, if you want to look at it later. Scripture tells us that then Daniel, when he heard of the decree, went to his room, opened the window. This is important. He opens the window. Why? So that everybody knows just what he's doing. And faces Jerusalem, and he bows down, and he prays just as he did before, the scripture says. Just as he did before. So then Daniel gets busted for his disobedience. And he says, well, wait a second now. No way. I am not going to abide by those consequences. Get those lions away from me. No. Daniel says, not a word, in fact. And maybe he said something, but it's not recorded within the scriptures. Daniel simply submits to the consequences of his disobedience. Because still he is going to submit to those governing authorities even while he gives his obedience to the higher authority to God alone. Are you seeing that distinction? I don't know if it's more helpful for you or if it just complicates things more. Sometimes I feel like that's more my calling. Just to complicate it even more. Because the scripture doesn't give us neat and tidy answers, friends. It's easier just to say, you know what, we're Christians and so we're just going to do what we're going to do. Or on the flip side to say, we're Christians and so we just need to get in line no matter what. It's not that simple. And faith calls us to live into this tension of submitting to the governing authorities. Even while sometimes that means not obeying the authorities and suffering the consequences. And finally, is this not the example of our Lord Jesus himself? Is this not the example of Jesus himself? Well, first of all, throughout his life, we see him submitting to the authority of mom and dad. I mean, to his foster father, as it were, to Joseph and to Mary. Even though, can you imagine? I mean, sometimes, you know, I get lipped from my kids, and but I'm, hey, I'm your dad. But just imagine, Jesus could have said, you know what, guys, I appreciate you want me to go to bed at 9 o'clock, but I am the son of God, okay? <laughs> but no. He submits to them. And even in that one instance where he hung around in the temple for a few extra days, at the end of that, you know, he says, did you not know I needed to be in my father's house? But then, Luke is quick to say, Jesus, submit to his parents. Same word that's used here. But most especially, of course, Jesus, in his passion, submits to the governing authorities, to Pilate, to his executors, even while his obedience was ultimately to the Heavenly Father. Jesus willingly goes to the cross, even though it was an unjust charge, even though he is the innocent victim, still he goes that way, because he is submitting. 
But the Father vindicates His Son by raising Him from the dead, showing that ultimately His obedience was right. That as He submit to those authorities, His obedience to the Father in Heaven, that was true all along. And this is the promise that you and I have. That even when by faith and according to our conscience we feel as though, you know what, I need to disobey this. And even perhaps suffering consequences for it. We know that our vindication comes not from the court of public opinion. Perhaps not in the courts of this age. But in the heavenly court. From God the Father who says, this is my beloved child. That's our calling, friends living in this tension, submitting to the governing authorities, whether or not you voted for that governing authorities that happened to be in office at any particular time, but always and ever saving your ultimate obedience and allegiance to God in heaven. God bless you and all of us as we strive to be faithful on that narrow way. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you.